Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. How are you hanging in there? Hanging in there in this crazy, crazy world. Happy to be talking about RPGs. Yes, uh, I think we will serve as a good distraction for people. I like that RPGs are our only solace in this dark and terrible place. <laughs> I have to admit, um, they are quite a comfort, and um, I'm jealous of, of Katie for getting to review Animal Crossing right now. I know, right? I yeah. I think that a review is actually probably up on the site at this point. Yeah, I think Embargo is up the same time as this podcast goes up, and if not, it should follow quite shortly. This might be the first Animal Crossing I buy since the DS game. Yeah, um, I am, am not really, like, I, I like Animal Crossing quite a bit, but I'm not, like, huge, huge, huge. But this has been really, really intriguing, and I feel like it's exactly what I need right now in my life. Yeah, I definitely need something a lot lighter, and Animal Crossing sounds like it's it. <laughs> yeah, especially since I've been kind of hard at reviewing Ori and the Will of the Wisps and Persona 5 R. Like, which I keep calling R's Royal in, in North America. I don't know why I keep subscribing to the Japanese version. Yeah, we were going to talk about Persona 5 Royal on this episode, but we can't because the embargo got pushed to tomorrow as of the release of this episode. That, so that means uh, just going to have to wait. Yeah, uh, come back tomorrow, kids, and uh, I'll have a nice piece for you. But yeah, I'm a little disappointed about that. Yeah, we're not doing a review because we already have a review of Persona 5, but we are going to do an article that talks about whether or not Persona 5 holds up in the context of Persona 5 Royal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I look forward to everyone reading it. Yes, and we'll have more supplementary coverage. All of the games are coming out next week. Anyway, uh, it's actually definitely the craziest time so far in 2020 in terms of game releases, and they and they couldn't come sooner, Nadia. It definitely does help to just kind of think about something else. And they're big, they're, they're, they're big, meaty games that will really kind of let you dive, you really put your mind into it and forget about everything else. <laughs> yeah, these are really big, meaty games that will really help you just kind of put your mind somewhere else for a little while. Uh, and as for other things that are meaty and will take your time, mind off of what is going on in the world, well, good news, everybody. Because this week we're doing the greatest intros in RPG history in the honor of Final Fantasy VII Remake, which might have the greatest intro in RPG history. Yeah, they they really nailed that in the remake, and I'm glad they did. Yes, I mean, I got freaking goosebumps when I was playing it, (laughs) and I just immediately was like, I mean, this has to be it, right? Yeah, um, I just love the way Midgar looks like a, a city that's just so big and imposing. And it really does look like a place where people live and die a lot. Okay, before we get to the rest of the list, Axe of the Blood God is an RPG podcast for U.S. Gamer. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, all of the different podcatchers of choice. We are on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia's at Nadia Oxford. And also, we have a weekly newsletter that comes out every single Wednesday. Nadia, what was the conversation? What was the topic this week? Well, the topic this week was the topic that kind of wrapped around everything this week, which is the cancellation of E3 2020. Yes. It is not happening. And it is not happening. I wondered what that means for RPGs, and I don't think it means too much because we already know almost everything about remake. It'll be out, you know, long before E3 was supposed to happen. 
Uh, I don't know what CD Projekt Red had planned for Cyberpunk, if anything. Um, my special hope is that Nintendo would have had Breath of the Wild 2 on hand, but that was just a wild dream. And either way, if we are going to get more Breath of the Wild 2 news, uh, Nintendo will just, you know, throw that up on a direct and that'll be fine. Um, so I was thinking in terms of like, you know, indie RPGs, because those are really thriving in this environment today, but E3 is not an indie show. So, you know, as long as hopefully, knock on wood, PAX West goes along, we should see, uh, that's where I really kind of associate seeing, uh, most of those RPGs from. So I don't think that E3's, uh, cancellation will have a big impact on, on the RPG scene as it is today couple thoughts on that front. First of all, RPGs do not demo all that well. They really don't. <laughs> no. CD Projekt does the best they can with these big vertical slices, but it feels like we've been seeing the same thing from Cyberpunk multiple times, and mm-hmm. they've always been hands-off demos, and so it's a little difficult to write about them. Uh, it's just one of those things where until you have the full context of what's going on, it's very difficult to say anything meaningful about an RPG. The, but on the flip side, I would have been very curious to see if the Xbox Series X, which was supposed to get a big blowout reveal at E3, would have included a lot of info about, say, what Playground Games is working on. Mm-hmm. Because the key rumor right now is that Playground Games is working on a new Fable game. Yes, and that would have been a really great breakout for E3. Um, so I- I'm very sorry to hear that, Microsoft. I mean, Fable by Playground Games, oh my god, I have to imagine that would be an incredible game. Yeah, I mean, I'd be interested, and I have not played a Fable game before. It might actually live up to the promise that Peter Molyneux made <laughs> way back on the original Xbox in like 2003. Do you remember that Cube game that Molyneux made? Um, I actually sat there and played that for a while. Did you? I sat there just tapping like an idiot. It was pretty fun. I think I've ranted more than once about Fable 3, a game that is very charming and very British, but is also very stupidly designed. (laughs) It's very charming, very British, and very stupid. Because the whole point is that you're leading a revolution, and then you're in charge, and then you have to make hard decisions, right? Yeah. Because you know that your kingdom is literally going to be invaded and destroyed unless you make hard choices. Except that the way that the game's designed, you can accumulate unlimited money just by abusing a simple mechanic. And then it's like, no, what? so what? Everybody's happy and I have unlimited money. Socialism. Just keep on throwing money at the problem and uh, <laughs> it'll go away. Yeah. So, but I'm interested to see a good Fable game. And maybe, I mean, it sounds like Microsoft is going to go ahead as planned uh, with something, some kind of digital event. Instead of E3, so we may still see a lot of stuff anyway. Yeah, um, I feel like E3, uh, like Nintendo really nailed it last year with their trailers, just one reveal after another after another. And they didn't even necessarily have anything really new or exciting on hand to play. It was just, here's what's coming, oh my god, oh, oh by the way, you're getting Breath of the Wild too. Like, that was that was stunning. So I feel like, uh, I still want E3 to exist, but digital presentations are definitely going to have a much more uh, noticeable presence from now on. It's a bummer because you were supposed to go to E3 this year. <laughs> I was supposed to go to Last time I went to E3, they revealed the Wii U. That went well. I was at that one. And, uh, oh, we were, we were there at the same time. We didn't even know it. Really? Okay. Because I sat down and I, I, I hear someone behind me say, oh, it's Nadia Oxford. And it was Parrish. <laughs> <laughs> That's very typical Parrish. It very much is. But yeah, we sat there and watched the reveal. Like, 
okay, I mean, this man is playing golf on his TV. I don't understand what's going on. But the 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 orchestral thing. I will never forget that the Nintendo opened its press conference with a tribute to the, I believe, 25th anniversary of Zelda. Yes. And it was this gorgeous orchestral medley of all these different scenes throughout Zelda history. It was really good. I have to admit, um, I really enjoy live presentations of video game music. Um, I actually seriously liked the Game Awards had that uh, rendition of the song from Red Dead Redemption 2. Like, that was really nice. So, yeah, they yeah, always I like do. Like they always pick one really fantastic song from the year and then do a orchestral rendition. Uh, they had somebody singing uh, one of the tracks from Death Stranding this year, which was awesome. That's right. That's right. I remember that. They did Jump Up Superstar one year. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. See, E3 does have like have its bright moments. That was TGA. Was that TGA? Okay. Well, I I I am saying live presentations still have their their uh, their <laughs> moments. Yeah, I like E3, but actually I kind of stopped going in my own way the past couple years because I just got to a point where uh, it's a solid seven days of running around and mm-hmm. by the and it kept extending, right? Because you get in on Friday and you stay all the way until Thursday and the entire time you're there, you're hustling frantically for interviews, networking opportunities, drinks, uh writing up news breakouts as fast as he possibly can, hitting yeah. every up every interview opportunity. And by the end you're just bone tired, right? And it's so hard to stay hydrated and keep stay, you know, full because the food in the convention center is complete garbage. So you need to keep energy bars and that kind of thing with you. And by the time Thursday rolls around, like you can't keep your eyes open and you just need like four days to uh, ultimately recover because you're not really playing games you're no. talking to people about the games and then you're writing about them <laughs> yeah pretty much um the first and only e3 i really worked at because i just went for fun and when i went to the 2011 one the only one i really worked at was 2006 that was for one up and that was such an ancient time that um people having their own laptops was quite scarce and people did not have smartphones people did not have tablets so coordinating was a real like pain in the butt and the only way you could really hope to get uh, your stories done was Ziff Davis had a press room. So I'd, I'd run back and I'd, I'd try to find a free computer to write on. And, of course, I was carrying, carrying around my recorder, which was an actual analog tape recorder. Oh, those were the days. Yeah, I just remember that I think my first E3 was E3 2009. And live streams were kind of a brand new thing, very sketchy. Right. Yeah. So, like having a live blog was actually fairly important for your site, right? So yeah. invariably you would have somebody actually at the press conference who would find a way to get on the internet somehow and they would be sitting there live blogging potentially on their smartphone. Yeah, it was it was a strange strange time. It sure was, but very transitional. It was fairly transitional and people but you know people keep saying there's no need for E3 anymore. I don't know about that necessarily because you can't really replace the hype and the interest that came with this gigantic uber blowout and it seemed like even with sony being out there were still interesting surprises and announcements and big moments that got everybody really excited and it would set the agenda for the entire rest of the year and i don't know like, I would be yeah. sad. I'm sad that ESA really effed it up, honestly. They really did. And, I mean, the coronavirus, of course, isn't their fault. But everything beforehand, yes, last year was a disaster with the whole leak. And this year I heard, like, rumors about how they were pivoting to some influencer-based 
garbage that was apparently just awful. So I was kind of curious to see what kind of train wreck that would be. Anyway, if you want to get all of this insight and all the headlines for the RPGs that you have missed, make sure to subscribe to our newsletter, which comes out every single Wednesday, courtesy of the lovely Nadia Oxford. In the meantime, if you go and check out the site, a huge exclusive just came out. Digital Foundry has the specs for the Xbox Series X. A little bit of next-gen news for you. And we have a bunch of info on US Gamer as well, which you should go check out. It's very tech-oriented. So if you are really into that kind of thing, it'll probably stand out to you. You'll learn about the specs. Uh, we, we tried to take Digital Foundry's extremely detailed and very dense write-up and make it a little more digestible, I want to say. Yeah, it's like, you know that meme with the stonks guy? Like, <laughs> we kind of did that, but with tech. Yeah, and well, yeah, we have various other breakouts. It's not not a lot to say from an RPG perspective, but I will say that one thing that does stand out to me, Nadia, the backwards compatibility on the Xbox Series X sounds rad. You're going to have to fill me in on that because as we were recording this, I don't know yet. So they're using machine learning to apply HDR, like real HDR, to games that didn't have it out of the box. Wow. And they're talking about being able to double the frame rate on a lot of games and uh, upscale games into 4K, like true 4K. I mean, the stuff that they're already doing with some of these games looks amazing. Like Gears, basically turning Gears 5 almost instantly. Like in the space of two weeks, they were able to produce basically a next-gen version of Gears 5. And when I look at various RPGs that came out this past generation, I'm kind of like sitting here going, oh, what's the potential, right? Because you got Witcher 2 on the Xbox One X that got a variety of enhancements. Will we get a mega enhanced version of of Witcher 3, for example, that is backwards compatibility? And will I be able to bring over my save to the Series Mm. X as well and have like this amazing experience? I it seems like maybe, and that's great. That's actually great. A little bit frightening, but great. Yeah, so I think there are plenty of RPGs that could potentially benefit from it. Um, Assassin's Creed uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, for example. Yeah. Uh, Fallout 4, maybe, question mark? Bio- Bioshock, maybe. Dragon Age Inquisition, if anybody still wants to play that <laughs> game. Isn't Huron who's who stands for it, or is that Eric? Oh, it's definitely Eric. Eric is okay. a big Dragon Age Inquisition stand, and it's fine. And Oh, I think Huron likes that game, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the backwards compatibility stuff sounds like it could be pretty cool, especially if they hit up some of the the Xbox 360 games, like Mass Effect Trilogy and that kind of thing. Mm, I'd love to play Mass Effect. Like, I'd finally get a chance to play it and play it, like, as a not really quite current gen, but much more palatable game. I'm sure that I'm going to own an Xbox Series X because I should probably have everything. But when I look at the thing, it's really just a desktop tower. Yeah, and uh, everything has come full circle, I suppose. I don't like the shape. It's it's kind of fat, actually. So it can sit on its <laughs> side. Uh, you're, gonna, you're probably going to get another one that's like thin and handsome. It's like they took an Xbox One X, which is this nice, sleek little kind of DVD player style thing. And then just ro- raised it up, went whoop. Yeah, it's like a GameCube, but not a GameCube. Very fat. Or you can uh, 
set it upright and have it be an, kind of an annoyingly tall tower that won't fit in my entertainment center. Yeah, um, you got to think of the entertainment centers. Uh, mine does not have any sort of space for anything weird like that. Won't somebody please think of the entertainment center? <laughs> Won't somebody please think of the entertainment centers? I was just on Talking Simpsons, actually. We did a season one episode. It was very fun. I got to go on that show sometime. I know I'd have a good time. Oh, I'm sure you could call in. Yeah, no, I absolutely could. And, and Mac keeps saying I should. But uh, I really want to do a, 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 the episode about Homer and a nuclear power plant. That terrified me as a kid with a mm-hmm. meltdown. Oh, that one? Yeah. Well, that yeah. was a season I, I two, right? Me. That was season two, I think, or three. Well, if they ever revisit season two, then that's the one to go on, right? Absolutely. I'm gonna it's the one that. where Homer gets the phone call from Magic. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That was great. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed that. Okay, that is it pretty much for the RPG headlines for the week. We're going to continue on to the greatest intros in RPG history. Don't go away. Okay, Nadia, as I already said, this week's topic is the greatest RPG intros in gaming history, and we're using Final Fantasy VII as a jumping-off point. Nadia, why do you think the intro in Final Fantasy VII works so so very, very well? Um, I think Final Fantasy VII was always made with the intention of being more of a movie experience uh, than games had been up to that point, and I think the intro for Final Fantasy VII really nails that because... There aren't up until that point. There really weren't many intros of any kinds of games that that really coordinated camera angles, and music and and character movement so well with each other. And it was just stunning to witness the first time around. And it's still I don't know if it's just nostalgia or if it's just a really well choreographed intro, but I still really love watching it. I immediately jumped out at me. I remember, and for the longest time, I just considered it perfect, right? And it would grab you mm-hmm. right from the start because you have that long moment in space and you're going, what the heck is going on? And then it focuses it on Aerith and then the camera pulls back and she steps into this busy Midgar street and then the camera pulls back again and you see the entirety of Midgar, which is just this incredible looking city, right? So futuristic, so cool, so distinctive. And then the, the title sting, right? Yes, with the, with the crash of music. Yes, perfect, perfect. Yes. And if, you, if you're in 1997, you haven't really experienced a PlayStation, that's it. That's next gen right there. That's just it, like it was, a mind-blowing moment. It was very much welcome to the next level. But then it's not done yet. It zooms back in, and we got the train, and then, boom, you're in the middle of this really intense uh, attack on the Mako reactor. I'm going to say Mako now. I, I'm, I'm, say, I'm poisoned. I say Mako now. You got me, Square. <laughs> <laughs> you got me. You got me. And then we get a perfect intro to Cloud as he jumps off the train. I love that. The flip. We're now, now we're going in. We're like getting right into the battle system. There's not like any tutorialization. It's all very natural. You're like, okay, like I understand this, right? I'm finding mm-hmm. some really easy opponents like it's not this long-winded explanation of how junctions work or whatever right (laughs) that would be a problem later i mean there are like basic explanations but you get it really fast 
You do, yes. And if you do need any supplemental explanations, like in the first town, they say, hey, there's a place you can go if you want to ask some questions. And that's all you really need. And then as you're running through the Mako reactor, you're looking around and it's this really kind of wondrous experience. Uh, everything is so dense with detail and so interesting. Mm-hmm. I think it's in this area that you look up and you see the actual Mako Tower, which is a really cool moment. Yeah, that's actually a really iconic moment for me in particular because I remember being at school and downloading a video of that particular scene. And this is on like a a slow-ass connection, so it took forever. It was the size of a postage stamp. There was no sound, but it was just like my first glimpse of Final Fantasy VII. There's this really intense driving music that sounds like something out of an action movie, and you're like, all right, let's go, let's go, right? Yeah, yeah, the uh, bombing mission music. And then all of a sudden it shifts, and now you've got this really kind of uh, ominous music as you're climbing deep into the heart of the actual Mako reactor. Yes, I love that music. And then it concludes with uh, a really good boss battle against the, uh, the Scorpion. And... I mean, just everything from the moment that you see Aerith for the first time to the moment that you burst out and there's the the flame. Yes. (laughs) You kind of somersault out of the flame. And I would even go further um, when, because then you meet Aerith and you get that kind of spooky, mysterious music as Cloud is running through the abandoned streets. And then he escapes and gets onto the train And then I would say that the intro properly ends when you get off the train for the first time and you're back home at 7th Heaven. Yeah, I agree with you. And um, that uh, particular scene where you're running through or Cloud is running through the streets and you get a really good look at like what the city looks like with there's like this kind of worn out, dried up fountain in the middle of the the square. And you get a, a really interesting top down view of the street. And that's another thing that was really huge. Just the idea of camera angle shifting in a game like that in an RPG was just unheard of at the time. Uh, usually when you stuck with an RPG, you stuck with like side views or maybe you would see your enemies behind you and, or in front of you and you'd be behind them or something like that. But just when I, I remember shifting to that view of Cloud looking down, and you could see the electricity kind of running through the power lines. And it was just a really really cinematic moment, especially since the scene uh, uses a, a piece of music called uh, Anxious Heart, which I think is, is one of the best pieces of music in the game. It's so it's so melancholy and kind of nerve-wracking at the same time. It's the same music you hear in the train graveyard. Yes, I love that music. It's one of the best pieces in Final Fantasy VII, for sure. Yeah, it's definitely really well done. I like everybody, like, I people like to bag on Final Fantasy VII soundtrack, but there are certain tracks that are excellent. Oh, yeah. Like, when I played Final Fantasy fifteen, and they were like, hey, you can have soundtracks from other games in your car. I was like, hell yes. And I'm just, like, pulling, like, just zipping down the street listening to Genova. <laughs> My biggest takeaway from when I was playing it the last time is just what a moody game that is. And I think that track really exemplifies it. Yeah, I agree. It's very, it is a very moody game, and Midgar is not a... a is, Midgar is not Disneyland, and they, they drive that home very, very quickly. I mean, it's just... It works so well because you can almost hear them going, and we're off, right? Yeah. (laughs) And so many RPGs start really slowly, right? Yes, yes. Where it's just like, okay, yeah, like we got to set the scene. We got to introduce you to everything. Oh, we have to leave town for the first time. And with Final Fantasy VII, it's just so breathless 
that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you just immediately want to know like what's going on with this world who are these people i am right along with them it's kind of like starting in, in media res so it doesn't have a huge amount they're doing the explanations as they go but i mean it's not like they're going oh we have to record recruit this ex-soldier named cloud and bring him on to the mission okay now the mission's getting started no it's like he's been recruited to the mission you know that he's a new guy let's go yeah, exactly. I'm actually a little bit disappointed in the remake that they changed the dialogue for uh, for Barrett when he used to say, come on, newcomer, follow me, which was so cheesy and, and fun. Now he's like, yeah, get down here, Merc, and all tough and stuff. Oh, yeah, he does call him Merc, doesn't he? He calls him Merc, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, wh- how do you think that the the intro and remake compares? I still think, uh, despite the, the dialogue change, I think the intro is still quite good. It's a little... A, a little chatty, which is a disappointment because we were just talking about how we, you have such an imposing atmosphere with the first game. You know, even though it's not explaining anything in the first game, the remake certainly explains things to you. And that's necessary because there's a lot going on, but um, there is definitely a, a, a lighter, more jovial tone to the whole thing. But that's, I guess that's not a bad thing. It's just a, a new take on it. But as for the actual intro of the cinema, that was still exceptionally well done. I think that most of the power plant is perfect. And like the original intro, it was the perfect kind of vertical slice for the intro of the game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Music was really... I really love what they did with the music to implement it all. I kind of prefer the original to the remade version because of what they add in kind of disrupts the flow a little bit for me. Just a bit, yeah. So that's what I was saying. Yeah, especially the bits that come after you leave the, the power plant. And they elongate it a little bit, so the pacing isn't quite as snappy, I feel. Yeah, that's one thing about Vanilla, is it has the intros very, very snappy. Especially, of course, I played it 20 times, so I <laughs> know exactly what I'm doing. I do have to admit, the first time you play it, uh, the Vanilla game, as a, you know, 1997, as a dumb teenager, and you don't really know that you can, like, press select to point out where Cloud is, you're a little bit like, where am I going, what am I doing, because you can't see him, because the, the dramatic camera angles. I think that for a lot of people who picked up Final Fantasy VIII for the first time, it was kind of a jarring transition because you go from, instead of having a huge, exciting raid on a Mako reactor you with a, with a terrorist group, you just start in a class infirmary and it's like much more chill. It's much more chill. I remember that um, seeing that really cool intro with uh, what's his face fighting Cloud, and Cloud gets that you know bloody scar across his face, and then you realize, oh, it's because they were just having a boy fight, not like they're actually like, you know, trying to fight for their lives here. And then Cloud wakes up in the infirmary and he's bitching about something, so that just kind of sets the mood for the rest of the game. Yeah, I mean, Liberty Fatali feels like it takes one winged angel and to another level. Yes. It is so bombastic, so ridiculous, so insane, so square at the peak of its powers. <laughs> yes, it was so square, so 90s square. It's square that is literally maybe two years from Final Fantasy Spirits Within, which is one of the biggest disasters in its oh, history. Yeah, that took square down a peg square. More peg. than a few pegs. Yeah. And, I mean, when you look at just how big it is it's obvious that they want people to be just knocked out of their chair and and it is like it still is really exciting for me to watch (laughs) Uh, i have to admit yeah just seeing like the previews and seeing the jump in graphical quality was was incredible even for the intro alone and the the duel between squall and cypher looks really cool 
uh, it does that intercut with scenes from the game it's almost like a montage and then oh now i'm in bed i'm in school <laughs> and i'm with this moody teenager and we're going on a going on a trip going on a field trip to fight ifrit and now we're going on a mission and we're doing some things and okay now we go all right we're attacking on dollop and here's a final mission it's like it takes a while to really get going it really does i the only thing i really remember about final fantasy 8 besides waking up in the infirmary is i fought a dinosaur and (laughs) the dinosaur looked pretty cool they always love to throw the random dinosaur that's going to eat you uh yes in the early area and you're like maybe you shouldn't fight that thing run away don't kill the dinosaur. I like dinosaurs. No, I'm going to kill a dinosaur. No. De- death to all dinosaurs. <laughs> well, good news, cat. Somebody said, why are millennials so obsessed with climate change? It's like, this is the formative seed from our favorite uh, sitcom growing up, and it's the end of dinosaurs. Yeah, I saw that. And just to go on a, a brief tangent, that is, like, I didn't like dinosaurs at all. I thought it was stupid when I was a kid. But that is actually a bone-chilling ending, in, in literally and figuratively. Yeah, the baby's looking at him like, we still gonna die? Basically, like, yeah. we're gonna, the, the only ray of hope is, hey, we're all gonna stay together and starve and freeze to death. We're and still then here, see- baby. We're all gonna die, but we're still here together. <laughs> And then the one thing they cut out of that particular thing going around Twitter was the newscaster at the very end of the credits saying, you know, uh, forecast more cold, more ice, more snow. Then he says, good night, goodbye. What the heck? Is is just like, and that was the last thing you see from that damn show where the baby usually like hits the, hits the father with a pan and everyone laughs. That was the show. <laughs> and then they, they pull that crap. But yeah, that was, that, that's nightmare inducing. Anyway, I, I like Final Fantasy VIII a lot, but I I do remember strongly thinking that the intros to both eight and nine were pretty slow in comparison to Final Fantasy VII. Nine definitely had a slow entry uh, compared to seven. Well, it's more of a heist. But, exactly. Yeah. Which is fun and everything, but the first thing you see in nine is uh, the main character jumping down from a ladder and running into one of the members of the theater company. Hmm. And it's just, it's taking a lot longer to get going. And then it becomes kind of a farce, and it's a fun chase throughout the castle and all of that stuff. But once again, it just doesn't hit as hard as Final Fantasy VII. No, but I do like the actual show where you get to sword fight. Yeah, no, that's a lot of fun. That's fun. Uh, I think that the nine, the intro from Nine does a great job of establishing the setting, the, the super renaissance yes. medieval setting that's also kind of high tech. Yes, and you get to see Vivi, and uh, he establishes him as a major character. And but you're right; it's a very you get to see it's kind of a very bright, uh, medieval-looking world, and you're, you realize right away, okay, yeah, this is old school Final Fantasy. Yeah, Final Fantasy VII is exciting, and Final Fantasy IX is grand. Yes, that's a good way to put it. Now, if I look at Final Fantasy intros, and I promise we won't dwell on Final Fantasy forever, but a few that do stand out to me: the Red Wings from Final Fantasy IV. That's a great intro. Yeah, that's a classic because it starts with that really energetic Red Wings theme. Yeah, and kind of like Final Fantasy VII, it doesn't stop moving, right? Because you got the really energetic and heroic Red Wings theme where they're being attacked by monsters. Yes. And then you're in the castle. There's a lo- some very brief exposition. Uh, you get to meet Cecil's wife. And then all of a sudden you're setting out 
to the heroic theme, kind of like Star Wars or something. Yeah, the the prelude theme. And uh, basically, I think, as I recall, Cecil was kicked out because uh, he started to question the king. Why are you yes. taking all these crystals? And he said, get the hell out. So you're on the battlefield right away with Cain. And they, they can demolish anything that's in their path, but at least you get to start. And you get a really good chance to, to get a hang of the game's mechanics because nothing can really t- touch Cecil and Cain at that point. Uh, Final Fantasy VI is quite good because... It's really mysterious, and mm-hmm. you're seemingly playing along with the bad guys. Uh, you're in these cool tech suits. It looks gorgeous. Uh, it has that absolutely beautiful rendition of Terra's theme as they're walking across the, the snow-covered plains. Yeah, I'd love it if that theme was somewhere else in the game, but that's the only place you hear it. And it's just like, I once heard a really beautiful remake of that theme where someone just like did an acoustic guitar, and it sounded really, really melancholy. But uh, yeah, that's one of my favorites. I just like watching the 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 mode seven scene of them walking towards Narsh and as they walk you can see the town gets brighter and brighter it's a really nice bit of graphical trickery and then when you go and you meet up with the esper and you're like going what the heck is going on here and oh there goes Biggs and Wedge and this clearly has some kind of connection to Terra right yeah that was pretty cool like they really established a mystery very very quickly like who is this woman why did the Esper free her instead of killing her, like, you know, poor Vixen Wedge? And, uh, of course, once she wakes up, the uh, guards are still chasing after her, so she has to run. And then the last one that kind of stood out to me was Final Fantasy XII's intro, which it starts with a wedding, which That's looks right. great. Yeah. And then it cut, goes into this amazing battle sequence. Just yes. amazing. Yes. Like, probably the best in the whole series, where... The scope is incredible. You see airships dueling in the sky. Yeah. You see people on chocobos battling and everything. It looks glorious. It feels like very end of generation PlayStation 2. It's really cool. <laughs> it is very cool. And um, I guess in the same in the same style, because they, they really adopted it, I think, uh, in the future. Just a quick shout out to the intro slash um, cinema slash trailers that Final Fantasy fourteen gets for each expansion. They're all super cool. Yeah, so you see this entire grand thing. You see the king like contemplating the fact that they're going to lose their kingdom and they're going to have to surrender. Everything feels big and exciting and momentous. And then we cut to Vaughn killing rats. <laughs> and Yeah, that's a bit of a downer. And we... Uh, and we get and a, a musical number starts, and we're all very confused. And he's like, "Riff raff, street rat," <laughs> <laughs> and he steals bread and runs across the rooftops. I know, right? And he's got a monkey pal. He was crazy, <laughs> man. Uh, I love that entire sequence in Final Fantasy XII. One thing I would say, he would have a Moogle instead of a, a an ape or a you monkey. So? Um, I actually, one thing I actually loved so much about Final Fantasy XII is when you go to the airships. Uh, they're really actually we should have mentioned Final Fantasy XII ships, and if we didn't, because they're really really grand inside. And you go to the counter because you can buy stuff, and there's always a Moogle there. And the Moogle's so short, it's pulling itself up to see over the counter with his four limbs, and that's something I can relate to so hard. <laughs> <laughs> I always have to stand tiptoe for counters. Oh no, that's terrible. Or not? Yeah, and it's like I'm at the bank. I'm doing serious adult stuff. Take, you know, take me seriously, and I'm standing on my tiptoes. Hello, I'm right over here. Look over the counter. Thank you. I get overlooked a lot. I, I think the thing with Final Fantasy XII is like you have this incredibly exciting and energetic and grand intro, but then they hit the brakes on it really hard. They really do, and that's a shame because I 
once Final Fantasy XII gets started, it really does get started. I mean, Balthiar and Fran are just, they're the goats. So here's the interesting thing. Um, I think the reason I like Final Fantasy VII's intro so much is that it's not kind of a medley or a compilation of scenes. Like, so a lot of, like, when I was asking people, like, okay, what are the best intros? Somebody threw out Chrono Cross. It's cool, like, beautiful, Scars of Time, incredible. But really, it's just a compilation of scenes, right? It's a compilation of scenes from the game. So it's a little bit like Final Fantasy VIII in that regard. But you're right, because it's not like the start of the game. When you actually start the game, it is quite a bit of a slow intro. And it's fine, because it actually suits Chrono Cross quite well, because you start on a very laid-back tropical island. But yeah, um, Scars of Time, I would definitely give a shout-out to, just for... The, cinema, the cinematics were very nice for the time, a little bit cliche in that anime way. And, of course, the music is just fantastic, but I wouldn't say it counts so much as an, an intro, period. Everybody always immediately says, oh, man, the Wild Arms intro. That was so good. Yes. Great. That's mine. Great opening cutscene, but it's just an opening cutscene. It's just an animated kind of montage again. That's how they did it in the days. <laughs> great <laughs> and music, And I love though. that music. Oh, that game has fantastic music. If you if you have a chance to listen to the soundtrack sometime. Yeah, I actually really like the soundtrack of Wild Arms. But then when it introduces so you can if I recall correctly, you can choose from one of the three characters to start, right? Yeah, they all meet in the middle. And then you get a nice little intro that usually has a really good piece of music uh to start, right? Yes. Um in the case of Wild Arms, I seem to recall they meet and there's a really terrible disaster that's actually kind of very sad so i like intros that i mean i i think i like final fantasy 7's intro because it incorporates the title screen and everything sigs right into the opening mission so smoothly starts like from the cinema right to the game itself and yeah i guess when you're talking about intros you would take that into consideration so when i look at the western side of things a few that stand out to me planescape torment is really good I gotta play that game. I really seriously do. <laughs> so in Planescape Torment, you wake up in a mortuary. Oh, yes. I think I remember this now. And there's, uh, if you want to talk about extremely bone-chilling openings, that is definitely a big one. That would probably scare the hell out of me if I woke up in a mortuary. Yeah, like, and as you're being wheeled in, as you're being wheeled in on a on a slab, it's cutting to various scenes of your life. And you're watching normal people become skeletons and everything. It's, ugh. It really does an effective job of establishing the mood, I feel. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, but on the topic of Western RPGs, you can't go without mentioning Skyrim. Absolutely not. I mean, that's the kind of the er example, right? <laughs> that is the, it's still a meme. Hey, I mean, it's you're really finally good, away. though. It's fantastic. That's why it's so, like, meme-worthy. So you're always, the... you're always a prisoner, it seems like. Yeah. Yeah, and they're taking you to basically be executed, and they're, you can kind of get a really good feel for what's going on in this kingdom because you're arrested for, for vagrancy or trespassing or something. You were trying to cross over the border, and your name is not on the list of prisoners, but they're still like, well, we're just going to execute you anyway because, you know, why the hell not? We're having a party here. And then it all gets interrupted by, I don't remember if it's Alduin himself who, get, who is summoned to, to, to screw everything up because you have, they're supposed to execute uh, Ulfric at the same time, and the dragon frees him basically i mean it's so and cool because you're sitting first so it establishes the mood you're sitting on a wagon yeah and you're going okay 
uh, you're, it's first-person perspective. You're talking to these guys. You're like, okay, I'm going to be executed. And then all of a sudden, this giant dragon shows up and starts effing everything up. And it really... And you just feel completely frantic, right? And you're just on the run with everybody else and trying, trying to stay to alive. Die. Yeah, yeah. And no, the dragon great. itself just immediately makes Skyrim seem so much cooler and so much bigger than Morrowind, as much as I like that game. Yeah, uh, one scene that I'll never forget the first time I played Skyrim is there's like, I can't remember who's trying to get you out, but he's telling you to go like in the tower and you go up the tower and the dragon's head just crashes through the, to- through the tower itself and nearly destroys you and it's just terrifying. Uh, a lot of people, I mean, this is getting back to, oh, sorry. if we're talking about Elder Scrolls, uh, if we're talking about Bethesda intros, they all kind of follow the similar beats where you start in kind of a, a dank location or a closed-in location. Yeah, like the prison from, uh, was that uh, Oblivion. Oblivion that had the prison? Yeah. yeah. Uh, with with Captain Picard doing the narration. That's right. And I totally forgot about that. And the thing I remember most about that is uh, I didn't play too far into into Oblivion, to be honest. But uh, I always play as the, um, the lizard people. What are they called again? The uh, Oh, you play as reptiles or something? There, there's the li- you're probably You're not a cat person? Like, <laughs> like you're not a Khajiit? No, I usually don't play. I usually don't play as a Khajiit. I play as shit. What are the names of those lizards? The the lizard people. I don't um, know. But I'm surprised that you don't play as a Khajiit. Yeah, um, I I like lizards a bit better. So, <laughs> but I do love the Khajiit as well. But I played as um, one of the lizards who are completely escaping my mind now. And when you're in the prison, one of the wardens tells you like you'll never see your homeland again you're just gonna rot here and your kind does not do well outside of like you know the the water and the swamps i think that the so yeah talking about bethesda kind of conceits usually you start in a small enclosed area of some kind whether it's a vault or a prison and Mm -hmm. then you eventually emerge into the real world and you're like whoa my god right it's all bright and stuff or, or gloomy depending on the atmosphere of that particular fallout game i mean the first time you step out into the wasteland in fallout 3 is one of the iconic moments in games right because yeah it's just mind-blowing you're just looking out on the terrain and going oh my god like look at this world that i can explore where do I start? Yeah, like it's it, seriously, it is like where do I even begin? This it's too much. And there's a good ProZD video. It's like wow, this incredible world, I can explore it. Do, 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 do. He's just doing a little jog. Yeah, <laughs> like going nowhere. There's nothing to do. Oh my god, two dollars! This is the greatest game of all time. <laughs> that basically describes that that initial Bethesda experience with, with all of their games, you find your first piece of trash and you feel like you made some incredible achievement. Uh, the hard drive really like struck at me when they were like, game praised for its spirit of exploration by person who always uses the wiki for everything. <laughs> <laughs> Called out. I was just like, oh my God, they got me. They got me. They got me. Man. Cause I, I get overwhelmed quite easily. Uh, Cause I do use the wiki for everything. Uh, like with The Witcher Three, I needed to have the best endings. I there was no way in heck that I oh, was course. going to forgo having a good ending. So I of needed. Course. So I knew pretty much how everything was going to unfold before I even made all of my choices. I need to make the right choices because there were this complex interlocking series of events that would lead to the endings that I was looking for. Yeah, yeah, that's because it's such a 
a deep game and you want the very best ending to begin with because otherwise, well, who has time to play another game? You know, who has time to play it again? Same with the Persona games, which, by the way, I don't think the yeah. Persona games have great intros. No, they really don't tend to. I do They're like so the intro for slow. Not five. Five really no, picks really up. Slow. No, you start in the middle of a heist. You do start in the middle of a heist. That is awesome. You do start in the middle of a heist. To the everyone life is jabbering. Music. And yeah, you're hearing life will change. Everyone's jabbering at you. And then you get set up uh, after you, you get like very brief tutorials, how to use personas, how to fight. But it's all implemented in, the, in this, in this uh, tutorial. And then you're set up and then you end up in a prison getting the shit kicked out of you. So that, it's a very intense intro. I think and, Persona 5 and interrogated. intro is great. But, and interrogated. So, okay, I will agree. That stuff is all awesome. I, and injected with sodium pentothal. Except that after that, when it flashes back to the beginning, it's like your typical Persona game in that. Yeah, then it's then It's, it's like, now I'm going to school, and everybody hates <laughs> me, and I <laughs> need to get me. to know people. And uh, the entire, I mean, it takes the entire opening portions where you're going into the the castle for the first time and you meet morgana for the first time takes forever it does take quite a while and i realize now i realize that now playing through the game again because i'm just like a a a a a a a a just kind of smashing it's the same with persona 4 where it's like oh my god it's taking forever i just want to get in the tv my god yeah and of course you have to explain they have to explain to you how how fusing works even though you know how fusing works I mean, in Persona 3, they're going through, I think one of the opening sequences, scenes is when you're going through the, the class the class gathering, it's like, well, first day of school. I'm like, that's nice and all, but can we get to the, <laughs> cut to the chase here? There's a reason I'm not in school anymore, kid, and this is why. I don't want to meet your stupid friends. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, yeah, I, I do like it when RPGs cut to the chase a little bit more. I mean... Xenogears is another game where it's just like, oh, like you're running errands and you're just mm. waiting for the dang village to burn down. <laughs> it's always a worse than replay a game like that because it's like, come on, guys, I know it's going to end in flames. Just let me get to that point. Now, here's an interesting intro for you. And I, mm-hmm. uh, I, if you're playing the Acts of the Blood God drinking game, take a drink right now because I'm about to mention Valkyrie Profile. <laughs> well, there you go. So Valkyrie Profile has a really interesting beginning. You. It begins with a girl who has really abusive parents who are about to sell her into slavery. Dang. Yeah, dark. so she clearly has an extremely dark life. Uh, a, a boy comes and says, hey, you're about to be sold into slavery. We got to get out of here. And so you're running off. It's dark and it's really atmospheric and moody. And then you end up in this this field, right? The The boy mm-hmm. and the girl end up in this field. And it's gorgeous. The The animation and everything is completely gorgeous. She starts to feel really tired, and then she collapses and dies. And that is how oh. the opening cutscene goes. And you're like, huh. And it seems to have absolutely no connection to anything, but of course it does. Yeah. Yeah, of course it does. And then but, um... suddenly it opens in, uh, in, in you know, heaven, and... This uh, and you see Leneth, and she's like going, "Huh, what's going on? Wow, this is all like I'm remembering all of this. This is really interesting." And you get to meet Odin, and he gives you your mission, and then you pull back to the credits as she's walking down a road, and it's kind of slow, relatively speaking, but and yet, and, and a lot of people will say that the first hour of Valkyrie Profile takes way too effing long, but in terms of 
atmosphere and setting things up, I mm-hmm. kind of like it, actually. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes a little slower works out. I find that one of the most intense intros of all time, and even though it does start out quite slow, is Suikoden 2's. You know, we're, we're going to play the drinking game. Let's take another shot because Suikoden 2. Oh, I'm real but drunk I ha- now. <laughs> <laughs> I have to mention it because that game starts off with a slaughter of a children's brigade. You, of course, these the sprites for Suikoden 2 being as unreal as they are, you see, as you're kind of running through the chaos, you just see, like, you know, friends trying to get their, their dead uh, friends back on their feet and, you know, them, like, calling for their mothers. And it's just so tragic and, and heartbreaking. And it's just, I remember just being, like, snagged from that moment on. You know, I was talking about how I didn't particularly like uh, intros that involved you being in a village and riding out from the village and all that. But I do actually kind of like the Dragon Quest Eleven intro. Yeah. Uh, I actually like that one because it it does kind of start you in this nice little hamlet and everyone loves you. Nice music. Music's nice, especially when, you know when you're not listening to the hell music from the uh, PlayStation Four version. And there's a the girl who's like super energetic and she's with you as well. And I don't remember her name. <laughs> Me neither. Uh, Gemma was it something with a yeah. G? I mar- I married her in the first game because he had no. You choice mount up on your marry. horse. It's time to go see the king because of course it's a callback to it's the original Dragon, Dragon Quest. Yep, totally is. Uh, and uh, I do like that. But then, of course, it you know, things go horribly wrong, and there's a great chase sequence and everything. <laughs> the chase sequence was quite new for Dragon Quest. You, don't, you usually don't get scenes that intense in, in the games. But I, I really, if you want to talk about a game that is, wants to feel grand in the same way that Final Fantasy IX feels, Dragon Quest XI is it. The way that... Yes. The one orchestral sequence they had in the PS4 version was that intro where the That's Tokyo so and cool. it says Tokyo uh, Tokyo Orchestra is playing yes. this, and that's a really really nice. Even though we're talking about like an intro scene versus an actual intro, that's a really really nice scene, and it is the only scene, as far as I know, where you see Veronica as an adult. Oh, do you? You do. If you see, if you look at the very beginning, she's there and she looks at Serena and like, you know, Serena smiles at her. And that's the only time you see her as an adult. So next time you watch the opening, yeah, she's like right there in the front. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I just, it, uh, it's hard to even describe, but it feels epic. And it really does. I will, and you know that it's a really good intro or a really good opening cutscene when you just want to occasionally step back and watch it because it's that good. Yeah, I mean, for someone like myself who has like grown up with the Dragon Quest theme, it does give me a little bit of a chill every time I watch it. Uh, it's the same with Persona 3. Persona 3 had a really excellent opening cutscene as well. Yes. Even if the intro wasn't amazing, I would always be completely grabbed by the opening cutscene and would periodically just sit and watch the whole thing because I'm like, yeah, I love this. <laughs> I did that for uh, Persona 4 Golden on occasion because I really like the music they have there. But yeah, no, Dragon Quest Eleven, And then they reprise it so that, you know, you get the entire sequence, you're going through the chase and everything. And then I think they play the intro again, just so you know, yes. okay, this is the real beginning of the game. Here's the title sequence. Now go. Yeah. Yeah, they do play it again, just to kind of let you know, okay, time to time to get serious. You know what game that's a really classic RPG, but I don't really feel like it has a great intro? Mm-hmm. Uh, KOTOR. Oh, okay, yeah. So in KOTOR, it starts with the, the title crawl, which I really like, because I actually kind of miss a title crawl at this point. 
because Disney made a conscious decision not to use it for anything that wasn't a numbered sequel. And I don't know. It feels like I'm losing something, actually. It, it doesn't feel like Star Wars without the, the title crawl. I agree. You got to have that. So you get I, the, I title crawl, the title crawl. And then you get a starship being attacked because it's Star Wars. Of course. And it's like, okay, this is exciting. I'm, I'm into this. But the actual fight through the starship is actually pretty boring. Yeah, I haven't played KOTOR, but um, that, that just sounds very Star Wars-y, which was always kind of like, hey, this is fun action for me. And then there's like Mass Effect, which a lot of people were shouting out, which does have a really cool... I love those 80s movies that have the... They list... Uh, it's like, the year is 2287. Yeah. The Federation <laughs> has come together and uh, encountered mm. alien life. Now yes. a starship yes. is flying out into space and it's like playing the heavy synth beats and everything. Oh yeah, that's great. I forget I what the exact... And then it's like, they called it Mass Effect. <laughs> <laughs> they did the title. They said the title. Oh Everyone man, there it is. The there it is. They don't actually <laughs> say is. the ma- They don't actually say the title. Oh, okay. But the, they say the the text is going through, and it's kind of like Top Gun, right? Yes, yes. Um, they, it's the exact same thing, which it's cheesy, but I still like it. <laughs> it's funny that they went for the 80s sort of vibe for that. Oh, I mean, nostalgia right there, right? That, that's fair. I was never huge into 80s sci-fi, so what? I'll have to take your word for that. Yeah, uh, I mean, I like the fantasy stuff. Like, I love Legend. Uh, you ever see Legend? No. It has a little baby Tom Cruise in it. You got to see Legend. Baby Tom Cruise. That's Little terrifying. tiny Tom Cruise. Uh, but you got to see the version with the uh, Tangerine Dream soundtrack. The other one, eh, it's okay. But Tangerine Dream is totally 80s synth. It's one of my favorite soundtracks ever. Yeah. In Mass Effect 2, they're like, I mean, your character's dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because the, the opening of Mass Effect 2 is the Normandy gets blown up. And they're like, oh, and you're escaping from the Normandy. And it's really exciting and really intense. You sacrifice yourself. And you're like, okay, well, that's it for you. But then they do a whole bionic man kind of thing. Mm -hmm. We can rebuild her, make her stronger, better, bigger, stronger, better. Uh, That's literally what it is. They show you being rebuilt from scratch in Mass Effect 2. So, yeah, I I would actually say Mass Effect 2 is a great intro. I guess if you want to keep playing the uh, Blood God Take a Shot game. I have to mention Breath of Fire 3, okay. because you you start that as a little dragon, and you burn the hell out of these miners who just kind of wake you up, because you're, you're kind of like buried in, in this ore, and they're mining, and you, they kind of wake you up, and they start attacking you because they're like, holy shit, a dragon, so you burn them, and just kind of like go through this mine, like burning people who are, who are getting in your way, and it's a really interesting way to start a game, because even though you're this harmless little dragon who's actually a harmless little child, uh, you're killing the hell of these innocent people. <laughs> <laughs> and then you um, you get caught, you put into a cage, and they try to take you away to wherever, and you fall off the train where they're taking what they're taking you on, and that's how Ray finds you, who is the the Tiger Man, and uh, he takes you home, and that's a really cute scene because uh, he's car- he's carrying you piggyback, and he's kind of supporting you, not just with his hands, but with his tail too, and you wake up, and you're in a bed, and you have on an, a nightshirt that's way way too big for you, so. It kind of starts as a little bit of an intriguing, exciting sort of intro, and then it transitions to you wearing jammies that are way too big for you. It's really adorable. <laughs> that sounds nice. I, I like the idea of being a dragon and burning everything up. That's why I like Breath of Fire a whole lot. Because <laughs> you get to be a dragon and burn everything up? Yes, you do. Um, so you like being dragons. You don't like being cat people. Yeah, I, I will choose dragons over cat people every time, but I will always stand cat people if there's no dragons in the vicinity. 
Fair enough. Uh, in, in Skyrim, I always pick, uh, I picked the Nord. The Argonian. That's the that's the name of the race. The Argonians. Okay, because they have that whole porn series with the, Ar- <laughs> the Argonian maid. That was one of the funniest things that ever had to me in Skyrim. I was walking and I come across this house where a big tree has fallen on the house and there's a dead guy in there. And I'm like, oh, that's so sad. A poor guy, you know, did he have a family or whatever? And I'm searching all his stuff. And he has this big stash of Argonian porn. And it's a, it's a series called The Lusty Argonian Maid. And I'm like, wow, this guy had tastes. He was thirsty as hell, wasn't he? <laughs> all right. The last one I'm going to throw out there is the real greatest intro of all time. That's from Ultima 7. <laughs> the red dude. In which you get a really nice and, uh, what's the word, uh, nice... Ser- uh, serene... In which you get a really serene, uh, like butterflies are flying everything. And then this giant red head comes out and goes, Avatar. (laughs) It's a very, very 90s CGI head, as I recall. Yes. But then when he's done talking, it backs up and you're looking at a computer and they're like actually tapping and going, huh, okay. Well, maybe I should go back to Britannia because this is actually just Narnia but with a new skin. And it's been a while since I've been there. Better go check in on it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you can do that in Narnia. You can only go to Narnia if Aslan said so. But it looks super so, rad in like 1990. You know, a really cool opening cutscene for sure. One thing I remember about uh, using the internet in the early 90s is a lot of people had that red guy as their avatars for, um, so to speak, for message boards and what have you. Avatar. Avatar. They had their avatars. But... The game gets off to a start pretty fast because there's a murder mystery almost from the very beginning, and it's very bloody. <laughs> <laughs> is it really? I don't associate. Oh, yeah. Uh... Ultima 7 is so bloody. Oh, is that one of the better Ultimas? Uh, I mean, it was on our list of the top 25 RPGs of all time. That's right. Nadia. Okay. Sorry, I was thinking 4 was on there. Don't you know the list from scratch from the top of your head? How many years has it been already? I mean, about a year at this point. I know that Chrono Trigger is number one, and that's the right I choice. I think we wrapped it up just about a year ago. Yeah, you're right, because we were at PAX for that, and PAX is coming up. Or Sorry, PAX happened. It just happened earlier this year. Do you like the Chrono Trigger intro? Um, Not as much as, like, Final Fantasy VI, and I don't find it extremely Wake exciting. Up, <laughs> exactly. Like, it's the whole stereotypical kid wakes up in a bed and goes to do a thing, and uh, it's it's not my favorite, to be honest with you. Yeah, uh, I think that the... It, it, Chrono Trigger is a game that takes a little... It's adventurous and interesting, and the the Millennium Festival is kind of fun to explore, but it's also a little bit of a, all right, get to the point. Yeah, and and thankfully they do, because it's like, it it goes from zero to to 100 quite quickly, because it's like, hey, now you're traveling in time. You were just like, you know, buying candy, and now you're, you're going... 600 years backwards the millennial festival the millennium festival is interesting because you do eventually come back to it yes yes you do and it becomes actually a major waypoint in some ways yeah so it doesn't feel completely superfluous it's just not thrilling in the same way that final fantasy 7 intro is no but it did turn my mind upside down when i was playing around like an idiot in the in the in the in the fair going do 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 doing whatever i wanted and that all came back and bit me in the ass during the trial (laughs) Because everybody I know is going to mention this one in the comments, I'll just throw this one out as well, even though I don't like it as much, is <laughs> the Vagrant Story intro. I do not remember the Vagrant. Is that the, you've talked about the opening cutscene. That was another kind of 90s square production, which was like really fancy and pretty damn cool, but not exactly an intro that I can recall. Like, well, I, I mean, it opens starting. with our hero, Ashley Riot, uh, sneaking through 
and uh, people are talking and it's being intercut with credits. And so it has a real cinematic right. feel to it. Okay, I remember now. Yeah. You're right. So, gosh, that was so evilly. <laughs> really, Just like, thinking. it really hits the ground running, I feel, for a game that's mostly about pushing boxes. <laughs> yeah, that's the pro. Like, I loved the idea of Vagrant Story. I'd love to see a remake that's a little better balanced. Leave me alone. I'm Vagrant Story, I acknowledge that it's a very good game. <laughs> there you go. Okay, we're, we're, we're good. It was an amazing technical achievement for the time. It was. It was quite, it was quite interesting. Like, you, uh, I, was it that feature that was kind of talking about like some of the tricks they pulled to, to make the game work on the PlayStation? It was really, it was really cool. So Nadia, what do you look for in a good intro to an RPG? Um, I look for an emotional rush. I always love that. Like Final Fantasy VII, again, to go back to that, is that perfect emotional rush when you see Midgar, when you see the train zoom back in and you're like, you know, hey, let's go blow up this reactor. I think that's, that's very important to me. Um, I also like intrigue uh again like the suikoden 2 with the slaughter of the children's brigade that was a real that hit home but i was like oh my god what's going on i gotta find out or starting breath of fire 3 as a dragon who just kind of wakes up and is in a world he's not supposed to be in so i really look for that that rush and that intrigue more than anything i look for it to cut to the chase <laughs> cast got places to go people stop making long things intros. to do people to do yeah <laughs> no, I just don't want to waste too much time on the tutorial, which I think Final Fantasy VIII right. wastes way too much time on the tutorial. I want to get to the meat of the story. I want everything to be set up as fast as possible. Uh, some RPGs just take their sweet dang time. And it's like, uh, while we're young, okay? <laughs> Come on, I'm not getting any younger over here, people. I always kind of clocked an RP- a good RPG by the time that they, it felt like they take the shackles off and you can actually start exploring the yes. world. Yeah, I agree. That's uh, that's when I really feel like I'm I'm ready to go. Like when you have a full party... Or you're like properly going, okay, stop holding my hand. Yeah, I get it. I know how to do the battle system. Okay, these are the characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clicking mm-hmm. through. Let's go, let's go, let's go. <laughs> let's get going already, people. Dragon Quest Eleven takes forever to freaking even have a full party. It does. Yeah, it does. Um, but you, uh, well, at least you get Savanda quite early on. I think Skyrim really works because it starts kind of in media res it has a really thrilling intro. It cuts to the chase quickly, let, turns you loose on the world. It's interesting to walk through and get all the way to the castle, really communicates the scope of the place that you're mm-hmm. exploring. And then once you actually meet the king and everything, like now you got a crisis. Oh, I got to fight a dragon and everything, right? And that was that was kind of terrifying because they're like, they throw you right into that, like, oh, there's a dragon. Can you go take care of that? And you had just seen Alduin just destroy everything in front of you. So I was just like, um, you know what? I'm going to go explore over here for a while. And when you go into the first dungeon and you can hear the voice, uh, you can hear bandits whispering in the distance and you kind of take up, uh, you take up uh, a position and you can watch them talking around the campfire. And then you yeah. can, because it's Skyrim, you start shooting at them from the, the, the shadows and they're like, ah, <laughs> and they're attacking. Who's doing that? And then they immediately forget, like, oh, it must be my imagination. And their friend's <laughs> lying there with like 20 arrows in them. It's a good dungeon, though. And it's a really good intro. It is. Um, it is extremely impressive. And like I say, it's, it's so memeable. Like the, hey, you're finally awake. <laughs> All right. So what do you think, dear listener, is the best intro in RPG history? What are some of your favorites? What are some of the ones that you forget? 
I, I I'm curious because I think I'm looking more for opening sequences, uh, the game, the the moments that introduce the game properly, rather than a kind of introductory cutscenes. Because yeah, like Wild Arms, amazing introductory cutscene. It's beautiful. I mean, it's not even a cutscene. It's just an intro. It's a montage. It's an AMV almost. It's a total AMV. That that is totally meant to catch your attention when you're at the store. Same like, with Chrono Cross, honestly. Oh, absolutely. W- That's how they did it back in the day. Which is fine, but I'm I'm thinking more like how you get started, right? Right. Exactly. Or like Final Fantasy VII, as we said, is a good example. So yeah, give us some examples in the comments, or send me an email at cat.bailey at usgamer.net, or send me a DM. Okay, Nadia, let's continue on to the mailbag. Okay, Nadia, last week we did a mailbag and some people responded to our questions. Uh, Cochambra wants to know, I have a question for Tales of Cold Steel fans. That's you, Nadia. Does it make any sense to play the third game without having played the previous installments? That is, you will find different answers for that question. I personally feel like I got a lot more out of the game by at least playing the first game before I played the third one. the first one. But the first one's not on Switch, is it? Or is it? is coming no you know what sorry it's the third one they're putting on switch that's so stupid yes but yes i feel like i really got to know the characters through one i did skip two and i kind of regretted that because uh, there's a lot that happens in two but i didn't have a huge problem following three i would some you know neon haired bozo would show up and i'd be like oh okay well i'm sure they were important in the last game but uh i still got along just fine <laughs> And um, it is at least interesting to see how the characters matured from that first game to that third game. Because, of course, by the third game, they've already graduated from Thor's. Um, and they, they're moved on to their own lives. And uh, you get to see how they come back into your life. Reen, poor Reen, is a teacher and doesn't get any respect. So I do, I am glad that I did play the first game before I played the third one. That said... There are definitely a lot of supplemental materials in 3 that will tell you who's who, what happened, etc., etc. So it's not like to leave you in the dark, but it is my personal recommendation to at least play one, get used to the characters, see what they're all about, see what the world is about. It's a very detailed world, very heavily political, and, and really fascinating with the mix of, of technology and magic they have going on. So I would do that, but again, you will find a different answer from each person. Uh, you may recall, Nadia, that we had a PC RPG fan who's really into the Infinity Engine, isometric RPGs, wondering what JRPGs they should play. Satellite of Love says, old school CRPG people should go with any Matsuno games. Uh, Final mm. Fantasy Tactics, Ogre Battle, Tactics Ogre, which we suggested Tactics Ogre. The more brutal Mega Ten games, SMT Nocturne, Digital Devil Saga, Soul Hackers, Breath of Fire 5, Dragon Quarter. Do you agree with that, Nadia? Breath of Fire 5 Dragon Quarter is definitely a, a difficult game and is very strategic. That's actually one reason I wasn't a huge fan of it. Everyone's going to kill me now. Because, like I said earlier, when I play a Breath of Fire game, I want to turn to a dragon and destroy everything. This is a game that not only takes away most of your dragon transformations, but the one transformation you do have is detrimental if you use it too much. And it just, I don't know, it just didn't sit with me. But they really did try to at least change up the formula. It is much more strategy-focused than the previous games, so... Some people absolutely adore the strategy element of Breath of Fire 5, and it's not exactly connected to the other story, so you could actually probably get into it quite easily. 
uh, any and all Saga games, Etrian Odyssey, etc. The Trails games, even later ones from after Falcom left computers, is still a parallel to console JRPGs, as they are in fact kind of sequestered away from direct contact with your FFs and DQs. But then again, that intricate intricacy AT that is only shared by game arts titles rather than the previous paragraphs people what that play a lot of crpgs and then made jrpgs and consoles examples i mean crpgs have a lot of subgenres, uh, and it sounds like this guy is deep into isometric infinity mm-hmm. infinity engine but we'll go from there hell's black and aces says if you're an old school pc game player that likes chrono trigger anachronox is a pc only sci-fi cyberpunk chrono trigger clone by one of the developers of commander keen and wolfenstein id software alumni tom hall the questions about why RPGs are so sword-focused made me wonder about how many RPGs that don't really have swords there are. Fantasy Star, KOTOR, and MS Saga are immediately out there for having way too many swords, even though they have guns. Some of them that come to <laughs> mind, War of the Dead 1, gun-based survival horror RPG, SD Snatcher, Illusion City Blade Runner, which is like a Blade Runner-like Fantasy Star RPG without the swords, Cyberdoll, Nine simultaneously equipable gun categories plus punching, the two 16-bit Shadowrun games, Parasite Eve, Resonance of Fate, Anachronox, Kudalka, Metal Saga, the Fallout series, and Infinite Space. By the way, Fallout wow. totally has a sword. <laughs> the one thing I never really liked, one reason I really not got into Fallout versus Skyrim is because I just felt like I was suffering from Fallout's lack of swords. Infinite Space, uh, in Infinite Space, the spaceship is your sword. How does that even work? Don't, don't think about it. But there are actual <laughs> battles between boarding parties and landing parties and that kind of thing. And if I recall correctly, swords is actually one of the things that you can use. That's pretty cool, actually. I could be wrong. Co- correct me. I, I know you want to, people. <laughs> you want to do it, listeners. And finally, we have a dot hack stand, Nadia. Oh, good for you. So listening to this week's... Uh, this is Benjamin Molusky, by the way. Listening to this week's Acts of the Blood God concerning the PS2 and the whole time you were leveling the guns against MMORPGs and multi-part games, I kept thinking, and what about Dot .hack? Because I made the crazy mm-hmm. decision to dive into the four games of the Dot .hack GU Last Recode series, having played the earlier games in my life, youth. Although the greater franchise leans heavily upon anime, I felt that it had a pretty compelling story, which subsequent anime have since copied, Log Horizon, Sword Art Online, Overlord, etc., I enjoyed how it provided MMORPG elements like trading with other players, email, and messaging, and forming parties, but allowing me to do it in a solo environment and at my own pace. Though with some definitely PS2-dated RPG qualities, it is a franchise I don't mind tossing myself into four games each time. Now, on to the entire Kingdom Hearts series next via the recent compilation game, Pray to the Blood God, for me. Uh-huh. Wow, you are quite a dedicated disciple. We will bless you, Benjamin Molesky. Bless. You are you are much blessed. All right. If, Your children will survive winter. If you want to continue, if you want to contribute to the mailbag or have us read your question on the show, leave a comment on the show notes. Send me an email at cat.bailey at usgamer.net or DM me. In the meantime, Acts of the Blood God is a US Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. If you enjoy the show, make sure to leave us a review and subscribe to our newsletter. We'll be back next week, as always. Until then, though, for Nadia and myself, thanks for listening. Stay healthy and stay safe. Until then, happy adventuring. <laughs>